they're gonna be a lot of detours. Ah,、uh, you have to make decisions about you know an obstacle, whether to go around it or to actually tackle it head on. And so I think when I'm sketching and painting, you know, those are also real moments that I go through. You know? Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host Nishant Jain. This is a podcast about drawing on location, where I explore the journeys and inspirations of different artists around the world who like to draw or paint their environment from observation. As a preamble to today's conversation, here are some interesting questions to consider. What is the role of a pencil in your art practice? When is the right time to go in with ink? Is it better to always do one before the other? What kind of lines can you make with your pen or your brush, and are you comfortable with those being the only lines you draw? Today's guest is Singapore-based artist Paul Wang, who shuttles between line and color, color and line, seemingly without effort. Looking at his work, I question the ways in which I use my drawing tools. Can they even do the same things that he does with his? It seems like he has set himself free from constraints that I did not even know I had. But before we begin this conversation, allow me a brief moment to talk about the podcast so far. My goal with the Sneaky Art Podcast has been to look at the creative ways in which artists depict their lives. Speaking to people around the world, I look for new perspectives and fresh ideas. In my few years of association with the global urban sketching community. I have found its most beautiful aspect to be the spirit of generosity, sharing, communication, and the free exchange of ideas that we have with each other. But this community aspect was unfairly taken from us with the pandemic this year, and as I spent weeks moping about the lack of things to do, I was struck with the idea for this podcast. I consider myself lucky to know a lot of urban sketchers, and through them to be able to reach a lot more urban sketchers that I don't know. So I hope that with these conversations, I'm able to share with you some insights, tips, and ideas, a lot of which have catalyzed my own journey towards becoming a better artist. I love doing this podcasting job, even when it's a lot of work. And recently, I introduced a feature to allow listeners to directly support me. It's simple. If you like this episode, and if you wish to support my work. Visit sneakyartist.com/support or click the link in the episode description. This will give you the chance to support my work with a small donation, the price of just one cup of coffee. This support and the caffeine helps me to continue making this podcast. I love the idea of being supported directly by listeners because, in this way, I can keep you, the individual, as the center of my attention. Many thanks for buying me coffee, William, Sia, Chantel, Tina, and Mark. I hope we have a chance to meet over real coffee sometime soon. Enjoy this episode because you helped to make it happen. Over the next month or so, I'm going to take a brief hiatus from recording new episodes. I feel like I have put together a lot of useful insights so far, and it would be a good idea to re- revisit them and to compile the thoughts and ideas and common threads across these conversations. Urban sketchers each offer a unique perspective on their world, but I also find great joy in the things that they have in common with each other. 
it makes this solitary exercise of making art a little bit smoother when you know that others have walked the same paths that you're on. So during this hiatus, I will prepare a couple of compilation episodes. And in addition, I'm also putting together a fresh list of guests. If you have someone in mind that fits the bill for the Sneaky Art Podcast, please do reach out to me. I would love to hear it. So with that out of the way, let's go to today's episode. Paul repeats some choice words in this conversation, which I urge you to keep in mind as you listen to us. I think they can spark some new insights into your art practice. The words are dance, conflict, collaboration, balance, heart space, and play. This last word is my favorite. Hello and welcome, Paul, to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm so happy to speak with you from all the way across the world. Yeah, I'm excited to be here too. Paul, the thing I really love about doing this podcast is that I get to speak with artists that I admire. And so I take this opportunity always to jump right into the most uh, interesting question. And something I find really interesting that you do, and I want to ask you about this, is the way that you interplay with line and color. Normally, when people do watercolor work, you see them lay down the, the skeleton with the pencil lines. And then you see them put in either ink first or color first and then the other. But when I look at your video, I see you going back and forth with pencils. I see you going back, like going to colors and then going back to pencils. And you use the pencil also in an interesting way. Can you take me through this process of how you use these different media to produce your work? Um, I like to tell people that, you know, our mind works at tremendous speed. And if you think about those creative inputs, they're like light bulb moments going off at the same time. So I often have to hold quite a few tools in my hands just to respond to, you know, those impetus and respond to them fast enough. Because a lot of times if we're just doing one thing uh, and we, we, we're not aware of, you know, what's happening now here, then those uh, impulses and creative moments can pass. So I'm responding to it. And, and also I'm asking myself, why not? Uh, what if, if I try this and that? So you find me mixing up things uh, frequently uh, just to keep, you know, the ball juggling in the air. And also it excites me because I'm also playing a game with myself so that I'm not always doing the same thing over and over again. And I also liken the drawing painting process like cooking. Um, it's spontaneous. Uh, you also don't want to get your dish burnt. So therefore you have to you know, take calculated risks. Um, sometimes you may have just tweaked something uh, even with the same ingredient. You can get a slightly different flavor out of it. So if I were doing, if I were to do step one to ten over and over again every time I go out, I'll be really, really bored, you know. And it doesn't give yeah. me joy, you know, in sketching outdoors. I I really enjoy that uh, that sentiment of not wanting to get bored of your own process. I speak to Shari and she tells me that she sees shapes and she sees these colors. And I speak to Marek and he tells me that he sees lines and volumes. It's almost like you're seeing something in the middle of these two things. How do you go about breaking down these complex scenes? That's a really good question. Um, I think as an urban sketcher, the first thing I ask myself is, what's the story that 
I'm captivated by, you know, what is interesting in front of me. Uh, it could be a shape, it could be an activity, it could be a thing, a product, a place. Um, so I'm looking for those kind of inspiration that's in front of me and I'm looking at what excites me. And those, I will, those will be my handles that I'll hold on to. And then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'll pick up whatever tool that will help me respond to that impetus. Um, if, it's a, if it's a nice, you know, window, I'll ask myself, you know, what's a, a, a fun way, a new way, a fresh way to um, capture that on paper? So you were saying how I use my pencil, like my brush sometimes, because I like to see my tools as uh, not just one use, but they have multiple uses. And I like to uh, push the boundaries a little bit so that I, I can really maximize what the tool can do for me. Uh, and for me, that's, that's part of my playing process and that keeps me engaged. And also, um, then the tool doesn't quite uh, hinder my uh, my expression. Instead, it actually elevates and and help me uh, move forward. And and also when I do that, I also make discovery along the way. So it is expanding the tools to support you know the capturing of the visual story, and then it goes back and forth. And when I uh, use an interesting way to capture the 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 scene. That it makes me want to dig even deeper, so that then it starts to bring me on this little journey, and it, and it goes round and round. You know, it's like someone playing. You know, the more you play, the more excited you become, and that the more fun it gets. And and time passes, and then you just become uh caught up in this creative you know moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hope that's making sense. No, it it does. I I love that it's it's a, such a nice way to think of it as a game and you've got these tools that you're playing with rather than to think of it as a task in which yeah. we we almost let the tools uh, become burdens on us when we give them a fixed role and we give ourselves a fixed role with how we are supposed to use this tool yeah yeah so when i tell my tell my students as well often is you know major on the major so if you look at something and you know it's captivating it's interesting don't draw it last. Don't paint it last. Paint it when you have lots of energy. You can focus and you're not distracted. Because, you know, oftentimes, you know, I will see sketches getting so caught up with the drawing that they're so tired when they pick up their brush. And when they start to put down the colors, you know, they are, they are feeling a bit defeated because they're, they're exhausted. Because you probably have only, you know, a, a, a time span of an hour or so to really focus on what you're doing. So that's why I like to approach it, you know, this way, where I put down the most important stuff first, especially when we when we are, you know, uh, by the roadside, the cars will come or you know, the weather will change. So I, I want to put down, you know, the important stuff and I want to make sure that I uh, register that. And then if I have to move, I'm not going to um, be worried that I haven't caught the most important bits. So yeah, you know, sometimes I do draw everything, especially if it's very complex. So I do lay down the structure and then, you know, add in the washes and the color. So I there's no one fixed way because, you know, there, there's so many roads to roam, you know, if, if I can think about it that way. So take the best route, especially if you have 15 minutes, compare it to an hour. Of course, you know, the, the way of expressing will be quite different as well. 
And and it strikes me when you say that you are playing with these tools and you're trying to see what comes out, that you're often also stepping out of your own comfort zone. And with every drawing, you are trying to discover something, not just to do again the things that you are good at or comfortable with. Yeah, so discovery, you know, uh, should be part of the creative process. And as you discover more and more and more, you know, it should be also a fun and enjoyable experience as well. So if you start to frown and if you're really frustrated, it's good to just pause and you maybe walk away, take a few breaths, speak to somebody next to you and then come back to your drawing board again. Uh, so I think that's important, you know, that little detachment and breaks uh, during your uh, creative process so that you can uh, you can see more clearly. Yeah, and I also tell people that it's important to narrow down on what it is in a scene that you find interesting and to give yourself the permission to ignore the things that you are not interested in. So think about, you know, the drawing process also like watching a really good movie or reading a really great book. That's always a very clear, strong plot. There may be a subplot. Uh, so you don't have like, you know, often movies, you know, confuses us because or any you know book it's because the plot isn't clear or you're just leaving uh wondering what's really going on so i like to see my drawing process as a, a way of just starting with you know a storyline and making that plot thicker but clearer as well take away like you say the superfluous so that we can elevate you know uh, the, the the supporting actor for example or you know, and what needs to come in to just gently support the story and not overwhelm it. Let's talk about how you came to find these stories, how you came to be interested in these kind of stories in our urban landscape. Can you tell me how uh, your early influences or your education brought you towards painting outdoor scenes or even admiring the beauty of urban landscapes? So I think it must have been my um, my interior design uh, training when I was much younger. Uh, so I had a lot of exposure to, you know, designing for spaces, um, a bit of exposure to architecture. So and I think that kind of created uh, an interest in uh, spaces, buildings, um, how we move and live, you know, in spaces. And I, I'm also drawn to... Uh, heritage buildings historical buildings you know places that you see in history books uh, so therefore i'm drawn to you know really old architecture in europe uh, cathedrals temples and those are uh, really exciting for me and then i went on to um, do my technical theater study as well for a couple of years um, because it is also a three-dimensional design i'm also uh, looking at how spaces are transformed in the theatre. And I went further to specialise in uh, technical lighting, uh, how light can be used to illuminate a space, to direct your gaze, uh, to also highlight you know, uh, things that you want to see on stage. And if you think about how um, the stage was... Uh, part of how the, the Greeks used to tell stories, uh, the Romans took it over to, you know, use it as entertainment. It's got a long history. And what we're essentially doing is to compress, you know, uh, a big story, a big scene into a very tiny little space. 
and I think those were influences uh, that you know was that I brought into my work as well. So I see a little bit like Shari. I see shapes. I see planes. I see flats. Uh, and I see uh, people walking in and out, you know, from stage left and stage right. How they're going up stage and down stage. There's always, you know, the scenery. Um, and my my uh, paper, it's like the proscenium that that frames the stage as well. So so that's why you see that there's a lot of color. That's a lot of uh, playing with mood and lighting. Uh, in my uh, in my sketches, uh, and 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 I think those are. Uh, trainings uh, years ago really helped to uh, create how I'm you know uh, connecting and seeing uh, the, the the scenes when I go outdoors so I'm I, I'm not so uh, caught up with uh, people in, in you know the the scene but I'm more interested in the structure and the buildings uh, the the scenery uh, and that, that's why I do a lot in my work as well yeah yeah so it's fascinating the technical theater design experience because as you mentioned it exposes you to so much that can be done with light and with focus when you're at a an outdoor location do you spend a lot of time also thinking about say you find something that's interesting to draw is it the next step then to also think about where you want to draw it from how you want the light to work are, are you thinking about factors like these um yes i will quickly find what is interesting uh, and i will kind of come up with a storyline and narrative and also strategies to capture that you know as quickly as i can before i become uh, obsessed with details or become exhausted and and then i'll find the right tool sometimes uh, i may have to play a little bit you know that's why you see that if i have a clean piece of paper i'll kind of mess it up a little bit by just throwing a big uh, blob of paint down and then see what uh what's what's the next action how can i continue that um that playful action and then maybe i'll start to uh, find uh the path that i want to take and then i'll allow a bit of detour and then maybe i'll pick up speed so there is there's a lot of expanding and contracting that's a lot of diversion and then i converge again um, so there isn't one way so a lot of time the storytelling you know may i may have to use quite a few techniques to approach especially if that subject is quite complex and then uh, you know when we sit by the roadside or you know uh, in the market the scene changes and i want to create room to respond to that so, so I might have to deviate slightly, you know, left or right. I might have to uh, accentuate something and pull back on another uh, idea that I started with. And I, I will have to allow room for that as well. Because if not, I will be drawing something that may not reflect what's actually going on in front of me as well. And that's the fun part of it. So sometimes you will see minor reconstruction happening or I might have to readjust a story, which isn't you know, which isn't that bad, you know, if you allow room, a white space, so that you know you're always expanding. Yeah, yeah. I love that playful start where you slap on a lot of paint, and then that it also determines how you're going to deal with the rest of the drawing, but it also frees you up. That sounds like such a nice way to let go of that initial baggage of getting started. 
So so that blob of pain uh, of will always land roughly where I want the focus to be. So it is not accidental. And also I will choose a color that probably will dominate the scene. So that are already two uh, very specific strategies that I use. And then I will start to expand from that. Even though it may look spontaneous or, you know, I'm just slapping on pain. But, you know, I, I over time, I've created a way to remind myself this is what we are going to do for the next hour. Yeah. Tell me about uh, this. these colors that you use. I, I see often the from the pictures that you take on location. So I'm looking at your uh, your your uh, paper, the drawing that you've, the painting that you've made, and I'm looking at the scene. And it seems that you've brought out colors that are brighter than what is there in front of us. And you've some, in some cases, you've used colors that are not exactly the way they are in the scene in front of you. So the way that you use color and the way that you see the, the point of color in your paintings seems to be a little different from simply realism. How, how, do, you, how do you use color? What is, this, what is this idea behind it? So that I have to borrow from your words because I was listening to your interview. You used two words that I really like and they start with C collaboration and conflict. So I often think about color being used in that way. Uh, colors are also relational. So you don't just say, oh, that's red, but you know that red is subjective to what's around it. So I think about how I can bring colors together and you know use them to collaborate, use them to support each other. So it's as if you came to a birthday party and you invited all your cousins, you know, and then they kind of su uh, support the party. And elevate it and sometimes you do want a bit of conflict because if everybody is the same then we're not going to have very interesting conversations so i like to see you know some colors as conflict uh, bring a bit of tension and conflict to the party and and that's where i you know over time see how i pull the colors in uh, of course i i remember the days where i had to learn my color theory and i built on it but now i just see how colors can support and create tension, collaborate, and conflict. Yeah. When you're looking at these scenes, what are uh, some of the the things that draw, like you mentioned, you put color on the part that is most interesting to you. I see some of your drawings, and you've got storefronts, you've got the insides of very busy locations with lots of little items and large items. You're also drawing scenes from the sides of uh, from street corners. So, what is the things? that you are immediately attracted to? What tells you that there is something here to be drawn? Oh, I like uh, messy corners. You know, if the storefront has a lot of mess or things are overlapping, uh, then I find I, I really gravitate towards it because that, it, it gives me a lot of things to play with. Like I could overlap shapes. I could smash colors together. Uh, I could see how the, the, the lines formed by the edges of all this mess has to lead me up and out and around you know so you can almost imagine i'm building a crossword puzzle so that goes that that kind of conversation goes on in my head like oh can i piece them together like a jigsaw puzzle uh, and uh, what are where are the intersections you know uh, what do they share in common uh, where do they break away uh, sometimes I'll see things spiraling. So I often think about drawing. Uh, I use this phrase, drawing from the heart. So it's like your own heart. It, it 
uh, it starts from the center and it supplies you know blood to all parts of your body it's a bit like our my drawing my uh, my painting i find a hard space and then from there i start to distribute and then they often circulate back to also this focal point as well so there is this collaboration uh, yet when i meander away i can create little conflicts as well so that you know you i stop you in your track i i i draw you in so that you can also observe why is he doing this what's going on there and i and and uh -huh. by doing that i take five more seconds from your viewing time yeah that's that's a great point like how you draw or how you progress on the page is sometimes just as interesting as what you're making and what it becomes at the end yeah the way that i i i love to watch urban sketchers paint because i love to watch the way that they navigate their page and you mentioned what you call it's so, such a nice word heart space for the thing that you're focusing on and it's it it seems to me like we all do this and it sometimes is born out of the fact that there are these constraints on us if you're working on a piece that you will do over many weeks and many months it might be easier to forget about what is that focal point but when you're working in limited time when you're working in front of a subject that is changing and so you again you have uh, time limits you have various other constraints upon you it trains you to dive right into and locate what is that heart space and to do everything with respect to that yeah so then that that will help you kind of uh, quickly say what you need to say without getting distracted because um you know you can be distracted quite easily especially when you see new things popping up and then you want to to capture this and that and that and then at the end of it, it that might dilute the story so i try to stay on track as much as i can not successful all the time but i i, I do my best uh, so it's also a dance between freedom and control which i talk a lot about you know uh, a lot of times we may have to start with a lot of control. Uh, it's very intentional in the planning. This is what I want to do uh, first and then what's next. And then at some point we have to have a lift off. We have to also, you know, take flight. And that's where you, you see uh, me maybe going a little crazy with the color and the paint. And then we kind of, uh, again, descend, come back down, resolve the story so that you know we, we we wrap up the story so that we're satisfied with how the, the sketch is landing or may not have landed at least there is a bit of resolve there as well so it's a bit of a complete journey and narrative that i like to 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 make sure i have it's it's a bit of a theater performance i would say going through all the ups and downs of a movement of of a piece yeah and then at the end of it, of course, everything which is there, not in the case of a theater, all your uh, travels and all your movements and all your little ideas are all there on this sheet of paper for someone to to decode or to regard as, as a final singular piece now. Yeah, so the journey is as important as the destination. So therefore, I try to, you know, uh, also show how the piece may have come together uh, where are some of the tension spots what were you know the things i was exploring things i'm interested you know hopefully comes through rather than you just being uh caught up with oh this is a pretty sketch yeah let, let's let's break this down these are some interesting terms with which to 
just break down a scene you have you have a focal point which is like a hard space you have various other points of tension with respect to what you have chosen as your focus point and then you use colors and you use lines in order to create conflict or to collaborate and to either harmoniously or dissonantly create uh, more more moods convey more things it's it's such an interesting way to look at just what somebody would could look at and say this is just a scene from the side of a street but you're bringing so much into it by almost by by wanting to by thinking of it like this looking at a piece of art you know as a journey how do you and how do you want to enter you know this uh, space do i want to enter it from a corner like i'm sneaking in or i do i want to enter it in a triumphant way you know there's a big bang and then where do i want to go do i want to go to the city square or do i want to go to this uh, dark corner so so you think about different parts of your your page your your paper you know like the stage as well you know so you you bring people on a journey and then you probably want to also quietly let them uh, walk out uh, so that you know they they do come along with you often we think that we we have a story and we want to tell it but you know when we look at it again we're like oh what did i really do what did i not what did I miss, you know? So I think about that complete story so that you're not left hanging and you you have kind of um, maximized this paper space that you are given. And and then the other flip side is we're very tempted to fill up, fill every corner. We like to cover everything. And so by, by saying less, you know, uh, by leaving stuff out, it's also a really good way to actually suggest you know what may happen next to your viewer or to yourself you know so so that that tension it's also vital for the work to to look exciting yeah yeah this this journey um when you're taking this journey on your page it's also a journey that you are taking regarding something that you have not seen before so how you feel as a person sitting there or being in that space is also reflecting whether you sneak in from the side, whether you crash right in the middle of the scene triumphantly. So I want to ask you now, when you're traveling, when you go to a new place that you've never seen and you've maybe you've you've seen photos of it or something, but you've never been there, how do you how do you go about this uh, process of now I will paint something of it? Do you have the plan or do you feel that it is that day's mood and how you how you feel in that location that determines whether you sneak or whether you are triumphant on your page? Ah, that's a good question. So when I plan for a trip, especially to a city that I've never been, the first thing I will research will be to write down a list of where the popular cafes are because that's going to help me uh, observe what people are doing, you know, in their own neighborhood, that backyard. Uh, and also because I'm a coffee lover and addict, you know, I like to be in that space and enjoy coffee from, you know, another city made by somebody else. Uh, so when I'm in a coffee shop, it gives me perspective uh, uh, of the inside space and the outside space. It also allows me to kind of get a feel of how people move 
speak, interact, you know, and have conversations. And that puts me into a more comfortable space, uh, allows me to maybe um, have an idea of what may be possibly interesting, uh, rather than imposing my view of this is what I want to do and this is what I want to draw. So I'm also taking the opportunity to respond, uh, you know, from hearing the conversations uh, or, you know, trying out the coffee, uh, smelling the space. And then I will probably find a place there that I can hide because, you know, that, that allows you to kind of observe from a distance uh, without getting in the way of people, but also be quite intimate as well. And I think, you know, drawing in a comfortable position really helps us. So so I'm not very keen to sit in the middle of the road or, you know, be in a really exposed uh, environment. Uh, so that, that will, you know, be my first step. And then after that, you know, I'll just again, you know, watch the scene in the first few minutes, ask myself, you know, what's interesting? Uh, and then kind of honed in and then, and then start from that and then allow it to maybe uh, uh, suggest how I can tell the story better. So sometimes I'll just keep it quite comfortable, uh, cozy, intimate. Sometimes I will expand sideways. So I often bring a bigger piece of paper than I really need so that, you know, I have space and room to expand especially if you, you know, start to uh, sense there's another story coming, you want to be able to have, you know, another page or space, you know, next to what you're doing to kind of just yeah. do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, tell me about a couple of drawings or uh, therefore a couple of different locations where you started different in different ways where you felt supremely comfortable and you started in a certain way and maybe another city where you felt differently so you started in a distinctly different way can you think of two two places like this mm, you know i'm trying to remember my last uh, trip so the last uh, symposium was in amsterdam so that was a challenging uh, city to draw because you know, it's an old European city. There's a lot of uh, details, decorations. Uh, but, you know, what else? So so my strategy, strategy was to just really focus on the big shapes and also the roof form, which is, you know, unique uh, for the Dutch. Um, and, and also because the spaces were quite narrow, I had to look up quite a bit. So that was the big challenge. So I had to always move you know, quite far away so that I don't have to crank my neck and be able to still capture a three-four-story uh, Dutch uh, building by the river. Uh, so, so that though, so that was a a challenge. Uh, versus, you know, if I draw in Vietnam, it'd be quite different because um, the buildings are not as tall, uh, and you can go sideways quite a bit. So. So now looking back, you know, I, I can see why I did a lot of panoramic sketches because I'm, I'm just turning my head left and right all the time, you know. So that kind of uh, visual movement is quite different. And I and also because, you know, if you come to Asia, uh, it's messy everywhere. You know, I like to go to the back alley. And I know that's exciting for me. You know, I can be quite close uh, to the, the back alley, the back streets, you know, and, and I don't really mind it. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, life, you know, happens as well, you know, not the storefront as much. Yeah. It's like speaking with a friend for half an hour 
you want to make sure it is a meaning conversation, even though the C may not be speaking back to you, uh, but you still want to have a certain connection. So I want to make sure that I, I'm interested in that scene. And then I think that it's half the better one, because if I pick something that I know may not bring me very far, I get bored quite easily, or I'll be like, how can I jazz it up? And then that becomes problematic. Then I will start to embellish and decorate in a way that may actually hide the story or make the scene not what it is. So picking uh, a spot, picking, picking a, a story and a scene, it's kind of important for me. I do the same thing of going round and round important things that I thought I wanted to draw. So this other day I was in Chicago and I'm trying to draw uh, the museum or it was the aquarium actually. And it's a really nice building and I it's really big. So I went around it twice and just that process of going around it twice took me one hour because I couldn't find what I wanted to draw. All of it looks nice. It looks great. I would take a picture, but I didn't feel like I wanted to draw it. And that's that's such a funny difference to me that I thought it's photogenic, but I still didn't want to give it the time to draw it. And in my case, I thought it was because it was, uh, uh, my work is so much, it's uh, all of it is line work. And I just felt like those lines were done. I had done those kind of lines. I had drawn those kind of shapes and there was nothing exciting about doing it. So I wanted to find something new. And I like this process. I like that something that I would click a photo of, I would not necessarily want to draw. It gives so much more value to what I eventually end up drawing because it's coming up. If I was just out there with my camera, I would have taken that photo and then I would have gone. I was done. But now I spent an hour circling it and I found something that I would not have found if I just had a camera on me. And that is, that's the fresh point of view, not only a fresh challenge for you, but also a fresh scene that you offer to anybody who looks at your work. And I love that aspect of it. Yeah, so I, I'm glad I'm not alone because um, I, some scenes are better as a photograph and not a sketch because, you know, maybe, you know, it's, it just doesn't land. It's just a different media uh, medium. So I think it will look better, you know, maybe as a black and white photograph. But if I were to draw it, I don't think that's enough uh, for me to make something interesting out of it, maybe. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think of photographs and art and all of these as uh, information. I'm an engineer by education. So I think of it as information that I'm giving to the viewer. And a photograph packs in a certain amount of information and you can filter that by making it a black and white photograph. So then you've got values, but now you've eliminated all the color information. And a drawing is a very selective uh, batch of data from that large volume of information that you are confronting in front of you. So what I want to draw is often about the little bit of information that I want to give from this vast amount of raw data that I see. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, often use this analogy. It's like looking at a plate of curry. It's all brown and orange. It's going to look excellent, you know, photograph. But if I were to draw it for you, it will just be all brown and orange. And <laughs> it's not going to be interesting. And you can do all you want. It's just going to be a big lump of brown 
on paper. <laughs> yeah. That that's such a great point. Uh, you're also an educator. Do you do you teach? Uh, does urban sketching somehow uh, bleed into how you teach your students? Yeah, so that's an inter- interesting question because I've been teaching for the last nineteen years in a college, and I teach in the design school, and I've been teaching interior architecture and design, uh, environment design, and also retail hospitality design, and and I try to bring some of the design principles into my sketching, and I also try to bring some of the observational skill that I learned from. Uh, urban sketching into teaching as well, so I see them, you know, going hand in hand. A lot of the information and the concepts are transferable as well, and I find that the 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 more I draw, the more I also understand about people and places as well, because you are spending time to uh do intentional looking. And also, uh, and it and that rolls over to my students who will become future interior designers and architects. Uh, they they also need to be able to see past the superficial, uh, be able to decipher you know the intangible, uh, use all your senses to inform you, uh, so that you are you are seeing more clearly your site analysis of a space, uh, of a problem. It's uh it's more informed. And also, you are also uh, looking at the situation from different perspectives as well. And you know, I I I see uh, that cross pollination from both sides. You know, the arts and the design. So I I like to bring some of the principles of design, elements of design, over to you know my practice, and then from my practice, you know. The, the the presentation the the storytelling I bring it back to uh, the kids I teach in school. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, also as an educator in urban sketching purely, you've done a number of workshops. I like to empower them to be more of themselves. So that's the first thing I will tell them. You know, I'm not here to make you be like me because it is impossible. You're gonna be miserable if if you try to. Copy and emulate me because I'm unique, and you and and my my role as an educator or as a coach is to celebrate you, and help you become more comfortable in your own skin. So I like to use techniques to explain concepts. So we're not just learning a technique. We're just not interested in learning about color, but we want to also use those techniques. Like maybe watercolor brush techniques to explain a concept. You know, for example, are we talking about contrast? Are we looking at lighting? Are we looking at texture? So you see, some people just stuck at the technique. They just learn how to draw really well. They have excellent, you know, brush control. Ah,、uh, they know how to use the paint, but that's all they do. So technically, they they are very accomplished. But when we talk about the heart and the soul, how to emote. Uh, using your art, your sketching,、uh, then they will probably find themselves struggling a little bit. The other school is、uh, people who are really good with concepts, but they don't have the know-how to express themselves. So we want to try to find a balance so that you're not just、uh, technically accomplished, but you also、um, you are also able to express yourself. You know, tell us what you think about. This scene. How are you going to tell that story?、Uh, so I I I see my workshops try to bring、uh, both sides closer to the middle, so that you 
create this dance of uh, freedom and control as well where you can take flight you know and be bold and uh, daring uh, you also have the control of how you want to you know say how loud you want to sing you know what color do you want to use so those are you know really technical knowledge um, so that we are able to 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 find our own voice you know through that dance yeah and the way we express ourselves in this work is is dependent on so many things one of them also being where we come from and how we think of art and how we think of the purpose of art what it's supposed to show tell me a little bit about the urban sketching scene in singapore you've been a part of it for so many years Have, has has it grown very significantly in the time that you've been there and what are some of the what are some what is what are some of the diverse voices you see inside it yeah so um i first joined uh the local chapter in singapore in 2010 so that's it's been 10 years but the local chapter was started in 2009 um by madam tia so i was uh, invited to join in 2010 and you know then you no know, sketching was you know quite a simple and direct uh, practice you know so it wasn't colorful uh, most of us just did our pen work and if if you were fancy you add a bit of color that's about it and then over the years i think you know people were more confident the paper size got bigger uh, and we were using you know more and more materials uh, to express ourselves which isn't a bad thing uh, and you can see that people are more confident they know what it's urban sketching uh, they come with their gear and, and and that's one significant uh, difference that i see that we are maybe it's a it's a help of new material technology we're more informed uh, we have uh, more friends uh, of the uh, of the same mind using the same material and then you see you know this uh, this chorus of sketcher doing you know colorful stuff wow stuff playful stuff all the time so gradually you know i think the the local chapter became uh, more confident we went on to publish a few books collectively uh, we held exhibitions uh, and we also um, we also did quite a bit of a, a show and tell you know as a as a local chapter to different bodies like the museums the schools and also 2015 um the singapore chapter organized a symposium as well Uh, so that those were some of the the highs and uh, highlights of uh, the local chapter here in Singapore uh, and we've been growing quite steadily so you know pre covid uh, each uh, official outing last saturday of the month we get anywhere from 50 to 70 people coming and there are lots of uh, new uh, friends who show up you know from word of mouth or you know they see our facebook you know page and they come join us as well yeah So the kind of people who are coming for these meetups do they come from a lot of diverse backgrounds do you see people who are more uh, who, for whom art is otherwise a part of their lives or do you see more people for whom art is an important recreational tool I think we see more people the latter uh, coming you know uh, as a lay person not fine art trained not design trained but just want to explore the city with us just want to get out you know and meet some people bring their sketchbook along you know have a conversation so it's very communal you know the community spirit uh, it's quite uh, quite important um and they they get 
they get a lot of interaction and 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 as a result of that they also learn how to uh draw they learn also uh, some of the techniques that we use as well um so so we do see a lot of uh people outside the creative industry coming of course there are also uh, practitioner full-time artists who come uh, so that they are connected because a lot of time you know as a practicing full-time artist you can be doing your art alone you don't see anybody you know on days uh, so coming out uh, of your studio and mingling with other sketcher and artists can be very very helpful as well so we see a lot of that as well so you know then they will say hey you know i've got an exhibition which i you know come along and then that's how we also uh, become connected to the bigger community yeah yeah a common refrain from people who are hesitating about how to get into drawing how to get into urban sketching or sketching of any kind is what would i draw and you would think if you were to if you were on the outside you would think that anybody any group in a place that is small say singapore is not a very large place eventually you might run into that problem now what is there left to draw now that so many people have done so many things but what i really love about urban sketching is that through this community aspect we are constantly rediscovering this joy for things that are so commonplace the subjects never run out because the subjects don't have to be significant landmarks they don't have to be tourist attractions so much of the interest is generated like you say just this this mixing of people people who are non artists and people who are professional artists this it it's it brings all these different worlds together and they pick up so much from each other i i love how there is something for the artist to pick up the accomplished artist to pick up and there is so much also for the non artist to pick up both of them can be part of this journey with the same quote unquote selfish desire of getting something out of it and they both do you you never run out of subjects in this way yeah so that's a unique uh, part of urban sketches because uh, we don't just sketch we also share so so we would like to tell people you know if especially if you are new that there are three things that we do when you come to uh, an urban sketching meetup is we meet we sketch and we share so that sharing part is where you exchange ideas you make new friends uh, you you kind of find out you know what are they doing uh, why it's interesting maybe i'll try the next time so often you know if we if we're just uh, sketching and we leave immediately you know we don't get the interaction that um that is unique to urban sketches yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's uh, i i speak with other guests and i frame it as taking permission from other artists there are so many things that are not difficult to do but we don't give ourselves the permission to do certain things until we see somebody else do it and that can be in person and it's amazing when it is in person because that's been the fastest way for me to learn you see somebody try something and that automatically gives you permission to think that that's not an outlandish thing i can also try that and look it works so uh, can can you tell me if in your urban sketching years have you taken permission in this way from looking at someone's art and allowing yourself to try something like it oh all the time you know i'm stealing with my eyes i'm looking intently like i'm looking at your sketches as well you know and also that i'm hearing the things that you say and then and then the first stage of learning is always mimicking mimicry uh when we copy we are actually you know trying out 
trying out somebody else's shoes, you know, walking in their shoes, you know, but why did they do this? So uh, hopefully as you copy, borrow, steal, you're also asking yourselves deeper questions like, you know, how does it feel? Uh, why, uh, why do I like uh, this technique so much? Or, you know, what is captivating about it? Because I think we can stop at the copying, you know, and just do the copying. But if you go a little bit further, you know, you start to also, you know, uh, adopt, you know, you're starting to personalize some of this technique uh, so that you are, you are making it uh, relatable. You're also taking what you like uh, and, and see if you can kind of push that, uh, turn up the volume a little bit. And that, that journey of learning takes you to the next stage where you can start to you know, adapt it to your own practice and hopefully you can apply it uh, with fluidity. So this is the, the dance between the technique and the concepts. So, you know, look intently, you know, steal all you want, but don't stop there. You know, try a few times, you know, ask yourself, you know, questions about the technique. You may ask a person directly, how did you do it? And that's only one part of it. But the other part is, you know, do your own homework, uh, do a bit of investigation, uh, break it down, uh, experiment with you know how the marks were made uh, and, and that's how I learn that's how I like to learn rather you know to be told this is how you do it step 1 to 10 I like to find out if, if there's a step 11 or somehow in the middle can I kind of jumble things up and what will happen so I'm making my uh, I'm, I'm putting my take on the technique and I'm also giving it a, you know my spin so that I move beyond, you know, mimicry. Yeah. Yeah. What What are some of these watercolor artists that you would say have have been sources of mimicry for you, sources of inspiration for you? Oh, so two of my uh, heroes um, that are rebels. First is Charles Reed. You know, he pa passed away um, not long ago. Um, and he, in his videos, you know, I've got most of his videos and, you know, all his books, you know, he'll always be talking about, you know, how he will, uh, he will make a mess, you know, he'll try stuff. And then he, in his teaching videos, he always say that, oh, you know, this is terrible. I shouldn't have done that. And those were uh, very interesting conversations that, you know, he has with himself that, you know, yeah, I, I even a master artist is not perfect and he's fine because it is a process that will help him become better the next time he, you know, uses pen, pencil and brush and color again. Uh, so, so hearing, you know, him saying that, and if you look at his uh, sketches, uh, you'll find that he often paints outside the line or his lines never match, you know, the brush strokes. The colors are sometimes a bit off and he will tell you that. But, you know, he uses those moments as uh, learning moments as well. And, and those, uh, th that's really powerful. And he started as an oil painter, Charles Reed. And he, he always wrote from dark to light, which is quite the opposite of most watercolorists. And I gravitated towards it because it, uh, um, it allowed me to quickly uh, create contrast, highlight, and then I can kind of work backwards. So I do also uh, work from dark to light, you know, quite often. So he's been a, a great, a, a big inspiration for my creative journey. And he's a rebel. So, you know, if you hear him speak, you know, he, he doesn't mind uh, being 
uh, imperfect outside the line, a bit messy. You know, he's got his fingerprints all over his uh, his artwork. You know, so I like that that uh, very spontaneous way of working. The other artist that uh, I I really look up to is uh, Shirley Trevina from uh, UK. She is also a self-taught um, watercolorist. Um, she didn't go to fine art school, um, and and she comes up with uh, so the the first book that I, I I got from her is called Breaking the Rules of Watercolor, and that really uh, spoke to me because um, I didn't go to fine art school. Most of the the uh, the sketching and painting techniques were were learnt on the way through books and you know through looking at other people's work, and she she's a very interesting uh woman you know and she's she's again bold in using you know taboo colors or techniques that most people won't use like you know uh she celebrates conflict tension uh she she mesh up all the perspective um she she doesn't carry a sketchbook she will tell you she never believes in using a sketchbook she will just draw on anything that's available to her so that was quite uh quite illuminating and you know quite encouraging that you know somebody of her caliber can actually be also comfortable you know in her own skin and of course it was also through constant trial and error playing practicing and the other uh, similar traits i see in these two uh, mouse artists is the the playfulness of their practice. They're not will they're, they're they're not afraid of you know making terrible marks. Uh, they're not uh, afraid of experimentation. Um, and and they and out of it you know comes eureka moments. And you hear that all the time. You know and 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 that that's that that resonated with me quite a bit. Yeah, it's. Then eureka moment is is such a such a it's it feels like as if it's impossible or it's difficult, but it it's amazing to me how often that happens if you just keep the faith with your drawing, and it again brings us back to what you were saying about the different ways that you could get started with a drawing. Sometimes you start from the corner, sometimes right from the middle, but often you are fifty sixty percent into a drawing and you you're not quite sure if it's going to work like the way that you wanted it to, but you still have to hold out for that Eureka moment to come. And it's lovely to hear that, you know, I, I think a lot of people will take reassurance from this fact that it's not something that only happens when you're young or you're an amateur. It's something that stays with you forever, no matter how good you get. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we say art mimics life, we need to remember that life is not a straight line. There are going to be a lot of detours. Uh, you have to make decisions about, you know, an obstacle, whether to go around it or to actually tackle it head on. And so I think when I'm sketching and painting, you know, those are also real moments that I go through. You know, sometimes it's just to maybe quietly stick around an obstacle. Uh, sometimes it's just to, you know, sit down with it and wrestle uh, that problem until we find a solution. And those are really... Uh, great teaching moments as well for me and sometimes it's really just to you know find alternative routes around the problem and not just be one track mind yeah i i want to go back to something you said about uh, the watercolor artists you admire and you said that sometimes some of them go from dark to light i have no idea how that works so i will ask you to explain to me how you do how you do dark to light with watercolor in your work how do you how do you apply that principle so um so it's like looking at the darkest. So so often I would squint my eyes, 
I will find the darkest shadow or the darkest shape that's available. And often against the dark shapes, you will see a light shape. And that's where high contrast happens. And that's where also a lot of time it, it's pretty much close to you know, the, the crux of the story, uh, the focal point where you have high contrast. And often I would describe high contrast like someone shouting or you know, like a soprano voice. You really, you, know, you really hear them. You really see them. And then I'll put that down. I'll paint the dark shape. So because painting, because of the dark shape that's laid down, the white shape is implied or the lighter shape is implied. And then I will start to use this uh, dark and light conflict or tension and start to you know, work my way around it and out. The problem is when you put your, uh, the dark last, the dark may not be dark enough because you have not left any white. That's that's a great that's such a great point. Like all the colors that you see, especially the values, they are just what they are with relation to other values on your exactly. page. Exactly. So in a sense, when you have a page uh, of of art of watercolor painting on it, the values that you've put on the page become the minimum and the maximum points of the spectrum. Yes. So if you start with a dark spot, you define the bottom end. And everything that is lighter is with respect to how much lighter it is to this dark spot. Yeah. So so one big so you will see that in my practice I'll I will leave the sky to last because the sky is either gonna support or gonna take uh, be a distraction to the very dark shape. So often I will see uh, students, you know, giving the sky a really dark wash. But they don't realize that in relationship to the white of the paper, you know, it's quite dark. So if you keep going down that path, when you arrive at your darkest dark, in comparison to the sky that's already quite dark, you're not going to get any contrast. And then you may have to resort to using uh, white gouache to get your white back. So that's why I like to work with the the dark shapes first. Uh, also, because I live in Asia, where you know the the light is strong, uh, I can I, I I use that to my advantage. But if I were to move to a place that's gray all the time, then my dark shapes will be pulled back slightly, so that I don't have high contrast the whole time. So it's like you know this whole page is shouting at you. So I do need to pull back uh, and create a bit of balance as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So dark to light being one, can you tell me some other rules of watercolor that you have learned to break? <laughs> um, what have I broken a lot? What do you observe in my work? Maybe that will be well, another way. Yeah, yeah, sure. I have lots of those observations. One of my key observations is how when you are coloring, a, say, an object, like it's a desk or something, you don't feel obligated to put color in the whole surface. You have color in certain spots, and maybe that has to do with light and shadow. But how much, how much of a surface you color and how much is also how much attention you give it, how much attention you draw to it in your scene. Yes. So when I started doing watercolor, I felt obligated that my whole page had to be covered in color. And only the things that are white are the ones that are not colored. Uh, how, how is it different from, how, how do you approach, how do you use color in that sense? Going back to the, starting from the mid-tone to dark tone, you know, I will start with that 
so that I can start to ask myself, you know, the next shape or next object next to it, does it have, is it more important, less important? Uh, do I need to be able to see the edge clearly or it? I need to kind of fuse and blend them so that they become one, uh, one whole series of shapes that's uh, connected shapes, you know? So I'm not so concerned about the color in the onset, but I'm more interested in, you know, how, I see different groups, you know, uh, coming together. Sometimes you will find that I, I want to create a separation. Therefore, I do need to leave it completely white or as light as possible so that I do have a distinct edge. And that's how I kind of decide. Uh, it's a little bit like, you know, uh, spiraling uh, or drawing from the heart. I will start with the heart space and then I will ask myself, you know, as I spiral around, you know, what does this uh, shape, this area needs? Does it need to collaborate or do I need tension? And then I will pick the color that will create harmony or conflict for me. And then I keep moving out. And also because I've started from the focal point, I'm also asking myself, the next thing I put down, is it going to be a distraction? Or is it going to elevate and keep um, the story clear and uh, you know, the focus is there. If I bring in, you know, an opposing shape that's too big, too colorful, I will step back and maybe, you know, make an assessment whether I, 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 I is that a good approach to it? And sometimes, you know, it doesn't work. Sometimes, yeah, I, I kind of say, okay, it's working. Let's move on to the next one and the next one. So yeah. that the, the, the story never get lost in the painting. Yeah, it strikes me as... Uh, you are doing this almost also because you are not thinking of your line work and your watercolor work as two separate processes that have to be done at separate times. And sometimes the reason why we don't do this edge recognition or bring out these contrasts or think of our objects as whether they are working well, whether the colors work well next to each other, whether they conflict, whether they uh, whether they collaborate, is because we think of it as uh, linear, uh, serial processes that you first do all the line work and then after that you do all the color and because you're uh, instead you are doing a spiral process of uh, radiating out from your heart space and as a result you're thinking of your tools as collaborative tools that all do different functions depending on what you feel you need at that time I love how the pencil becomes something that pulls the watercolor in uh, to the other blob of color on the other side of the page when you're connecting uh, two, two uh, wads of color together. Again, it's a way of thinking about your tools in a more uh, holistic way and not in the prescribed, not letting yourself be bound by their prescribed purpose. So another advice to, I guess, anybody listening is to not necessarily think of it as step one, do lines, step two, add color, step three, finish painting. I I think that's important uh, you know, as a, a beginning sketcher that you still need to have some structure. You still need to, you know, go through the steps, but don't stop there. You know, once you have practiced your skills, you know, like in music, you go on to maybe improvise, you maybe mix things up and put your own spin. So if you if you start flying before you you know learn how to walk, then you know you may crash land quite often. 
so 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 I think that balance is quite important. Uh, and so so I like to uh, so two words I, that comes to mind every time I, I I teach is roots and wings. So a lot of time you know we we forget about the roots, the structure that we need to put into our sketching and painting. But then when you only have roots, you know there is no lift off, there is no uh, there's no celebration of you, and that's where the wings come in. That's where you take flight, you know. But yeah. before flight comes, we need to understand engineering the, to build the plane you know to set up to send roots uh so so it's often a dance as well so i do uh, advocate that you know yes learn your techniques really really well you know um practice them sequentially but at some point you know you need to be pushed out of the nest you need to take flight and you need to find how you want to fly as well but don't do it too early because if you start improvising without um without appreciating the technique, you know, you, it can be very frustrating as well. Yeah, so I see a lot of people uh, rushing to paint without spending time to draw. So spending time to draw doesn't mean you draw everything. Spending time to draw, you know, is spending time looking intentionally, you know, and sizing up what you're looking at, understanding the story, what you're going to put down, and then you move to painting because that painting will not hide you know the the inadequacy you know from the drawing face because the drawing face is really a, also a thinking face yeah yeah that's such a that's such a good point as they say you've got to know the rules before you start to break them yes yeah you know so so once you understand this dance then you 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 can sort of move between them and you will, then you will find that this whole process is actually quite playful uh, it gives you uh, a lot of freedom to maybe try something and when it doesn't work you maybe go back to uh, something that you're familiar with uh, so you will see that when i am painting i don't paint you know in one breath at some point i'll need to stop because especially you know when i am just going through the motion i will pause i will go back to my drawing tools uh be it a pen pencil and then I'll, as i draw I'm also um, being analytical, and then I will pick up my brush again, so so that you know I am not uh, sidetracked or I'm not uh, obsessed with the painting uh, per se. But I'm also uh, I'm also interested in the in the narrative being uh, clear. It's an enjoyable process for me as well. Yeah, yeah. With with COVID now, of course, so much of our outdoor connections have been cut off. We're not able to hang out with each other as easily. We're not able to, uh, the symposium was cancelled. And uh, so much of what we enjoy as urban sketchers and what we uh, derive from being urban sketchers, this community experience is, is being deprived to us. But I've seen you do so many new things now, as a lot of us urban sketchers have to adapt to these changing circumstances. Uh, I'm really fascinated by the sketching play lab that you do with Suhita. Can can you tell me a little bit about what how how this began and what you do? Sure. Um, we we started this uh, in March, end of March, when you know the lockdowns were widespread and and in Singapore we went into lockdown uh, first week of April uh, so it means that there was no more uh, sketching no more gathering so I I would spoke to Suita and say you know 
uh, and also because both of us are uh, Facebook moderator for the Urban Sketcher group. So we hear a lot of grousers. We hear people struggling to uh, draw the same window scene over and over again. And people were also asking, can we bend the rules and uh, go virtual, you know, urban sketching? But instead, we said, you know, why don't we, why don't we, you know, take people on a journey, you know, help them think about drawing the same view, maybe in a different way, uh, maybe in a fresh way. And that that was the birth of uh, Sketching Play Lab, uh, because we wanted to be a sketching-based uh, initiative, but it also has to be playful, especially, you know, when we are all locked in, the last thing you want to do is to do something serious. Uh, but we don't just want to play, but we also want to make it uh, a place where you can experiment, you can make a mess and totally fine with it. And if you ask any adults, you know, when was the last time you had a good time you played? They'll probably be scratching their head. Like they'll tell you, oh, it was maybe last year I went on a holiday. I was like, what happened to yesterday, the day before? Did you do something fun? So that that was the impetus, you know, of creating this playground for Sketcher, uh, especially when we are all disconnected, uh, locked in our own little uh, house or room. You know, how can we still sketch and play? Uh, we did a few trial runs, uh, and, and also this conversation uh, didn't start uh, this year. It actually started way before. Uh, no, I I meet Suita yearly, almost yearly at the symposium, and you know every time I meet her, I'll be looking over her shoulder, and she'll be playing, and she'll be making a mess, and then she will use anything, you know, she she she's very spontaneous, and then we'll be chatting. So there's a lot of you know small conversations over the years, and because of that friendship, it made it so much easier for me to propose this idea to her, you know, like hey, you know, why don't we you know, create a virtual playground for Sketcher uh, and see if we can use that to encourage them uh, and not give up urban sketching, drawing from direct observation, even though you might be locked in. And that's how we started. And we started with, you know, lines, how to free up your lines. So we did crazy stuff with our, with our tools. And then we also play with unconventional tools where we... Uh, told people not to bring their pen and brushes and pencils, but bring everything from your kitchen, anything that's recycled. Can you, you know, turn it on its head, use it as a tool, you know? And so if we think about what's a drawing implement, anything can be a drawing implement, you know? So so that by holding a different tool, that in itself is a very uh, playful step out of your comfort zone. And then we saw more and more people, you know, catching on, you know, enjoying that hour to hour and a half of, you know, playing with a single idea and pulling it apart. So sometimes we will, we will, you know, diverge and tell people, what if you did this? So they, so we encourage them to experiment, you know, over their side, make a mess and show us, you know, um, what are some of the possible results? You know, what else can you do with the limited equipment that you have? And we had, you know, interesting and surprising results from those play sessions as well. And people were no longer asking questions about, oh, can I do this? Can I use my pen this way? 
instead the conversation was uh most of the time was oh i did this what do you think can you share the room you know and those were quite uh quite interesting exciting moments for us because they're no longer talking about oh suita i love to paint like you or paul you know can can i do what you do so it's no longer about us we're just you know by the side we're just coaching and that was fun for us as well and we spent me and suita we spent you know, a lot of time playing on our own to come up with uh, play sessions and, and also how to break apart concepts that we may be so familiar that we take for granted and put a fresh spin on it as well yeah so so the the things that you see on instagram all the the work are all experimental because we tell people all the time that you know don't worry about finishing anything because it's going to be work in progress and if you have that mindset then everything uh you know it's going to serve its purpose to teach you about you know playing sketching the creative process it's going to teach you about you as well yeah 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 it feels to me like the biggest obstacles in front of somebody trying to make art or trying to just fill a few hours in this kind of productive therapeutic cathartic exercise the biggest obstacle is often the person themselves because they don't allow themselves to do so many things and i love that you've set up a laboratory atmosphere because instantly that means that we are experimenting we are trying to find out something that we didn't know before and also that failure and success become these irrelevant words they're just part of it's it's a laboratory you're going to have more failures than you will have what what we could call successes and failures are more educational than successes successes are not what you're looking for at this time i i it's i find it interesting when people uh, they look at their sketchbooks or they'll flip through someone's sketchbook whom they admire and this would happen during urban sketching meetups and people are almost intimidated when they go into their own sketchbooks because they feel like every page has to look a certain way it has to be this good or that good and it's so important to then have this playing laboratory experimental atmosphere where you let go of these ideas i already love what you said about using non artistic implements like uh, i saw somebody uh, was it was it rob or was it someone else who drew with a kitchen fork uh, i think most of us brought a fork or knife at some point and i i love i love that you did this because then it not only are you using something different to make art with but then the things that you do use otherwise you start to think of them as greater than just the one thing that you've been doing with them because so many tools can like uh, a common problem that i'd have uh, let me uh, explain it with respect to that is i used to be really bad at drawing uh, in a traditional media with say pencil on paper and then i moved to drawing digitally i got an ipad in 2013 and before that in 2010 i started drawing on a tablet connected to my laptop and that freed me up in a lot of ways it allowed me to have this laboratory kind of mindset that i can erase things i can undo things i can try it when i can throw down colors and if they don't work i don't ruin my drawing i just change them quickly <laughs> yes but the problem with that went uh, over some time that came to me was that every tool kind of felt the same because the interaction that i'm having with my tablet surface and the apple pencil or any other tablet stylus that i'm using it's the same uh, connection between them so from my hand from my brain to my hands 
no matter how I feel, from my hand to the surface, that connection is the same. There's no brush, there's no pen, there's no fountain pen nib. It's all exactly the same. And that at some point starts to become less useful. If you want to really understand how a brush works, you have to use an actual brush. And you have to think about how wet the, the hairs are or how, how much you know, color they are holding. So I loved then to go back to traditional media. And I even now I learn by going back and forth between them about how something actually feels on the paper and then how its virtual brush design works on the iPad, on the computer, etc. So there is this independence that comes in when you use a tool in different ways. And I see that the sketching play lab would then enable people to, when they use their traditional media, when they use the things that they are comfortable using, to hold them in a different way, maybe to consider uh, drawing with them in a different way, maybe. And that's, that's such a liberating thing to offer them. So on your point uh, of, about, you know, using different tools, it's also to help uh, us remember that when we're on location, we have to respond. And often, you know, you know, it's like Sweeter will always tell you that, you know, she never remembers to bring this or that. And I too, you know, sometimes, you know, this is not in my, my, my kit. Then, then what happens? You know, do you say, oh, I won't sketch or maybe you will start improvising, right? So we want to remind them that, you know, you, you are more than able to, you know, practice even with your limitation you know during this time of being locked in and locked down and also when we are using different tools or if i'm using your pencil or your pen it triggers uh, a different response because in you know uh, we think a lot with our hands and when i'm holding a different implement you know i will have to adjust to uh, how much control strength i use I will have to respond to uh, how it touches the paper. And all these stimuli are important, you know, for us to stay engaged. Uh, so, so that's why uh, we find urban sketching so, so um, exciting because we're using all our senses. You know, we are, uh, because when we're adapted, when adaptation comes very quickly when you know something very, very well. And then you presume and assume that this is it nothing else will happen. So therefore, we want to use sketching play as a way to shake things up, uh, to tell people that, you know, that uh, even within, so, you know, I'm geeking out a little bit, even within the pencil world, there's so many different types of pencil, you know, there's softer, harder pencil, uh, and they, they give, you know, different marks on paper. And, and as you go deeper, uh, uh, you know, hopefully that brings a different dimension to your work the new ones of uh, using this pencil versus that pencil changes. Uh, and also you change the drawing surface, another, another dimension happens. And that's that play lab idea where you just need to maybe switch up things and then you get something fresh and you're no longer concerned that, oh, I'm drawing that same window scene or I'm drawing that same object, but you are caught up with the exploration and that playing yeah. rather than be obsessed with, am I going to get... Uh, a great painting that everybody will like, you know. So, so I tell people, give yourself permission to play, make a mess, and that's totally fine. And then, you know, see what happens. 
Yeah, such a good point. And uh, like you mentioned, we cannot understate the importance of muscle memory. So this is part of something that I studied uh, during my master's degree. I, I did a master's degree in biomechanical design. And a lot of that was about uh, the neural systems and the musculature of the human body and how the intelligence, what we think of as our intelligence is not just in our brain, but it is also coded into our muscle and our different limbs and the way we use our joints to do different things. So the tool that you use, if you use the same tools every time, you slowly de develop a muscle memory around it and you know how much control you need, you know how much pressure you need to put with your fingers. A lot of that stuff gets hard-coded and then that stuff becomes autopilot. It's just naturally how you use it. So even if you use the same pen sometimes, but you use it uh, after borrowing it from someone else, sometimes that muscle memory is thrown off and suddenly you have to be aware again of all these things that you were doing on autopilot and you become more conscious about it. So again, using different tools, using different surfaces, that changing that, uh, that hand-to-surface interaction, changing the way that you distribute ink or you distribute paint on the page, it, it uh, pulls us out of these ruts that we get stuck in. It pulls us out of these simple, the straightforward techniques that we are, uh, that our autopilot dictates. And we become more vested in it. We get more involved in the process. Now we are taking, actively taking and thinking about the feedback we are getting from the tips of our fingers, from how our wrist feels when we are holding that pen, the way that I have to turn that, uh, if I'm like, I, I know that you used a twig at some point. So if you're using a twig, then how do you have to hold it? And what does that do to the page? And then that knowledge informs again how you use the brush that you always use. You've now got new knowledge and you've built a more comprehensive and more, uh, you've fed more data into this, this muscle memory system of your hands and your brain. Yeah, so that's the concept of play. Uh, and if you think about a child playing, the child doesn't have a, a stick, uh, doesn't have a fixed rigid plan. The child is responding, or as adults, if you you know if you play a ball game or you play Monopoly, Scrabble, or uh, a basketball game, you you probably have to respond. You probably have to understand the situation that you're in, and you probably have to make an exact decision. You know what's going to happen next, and those are life skills. Uh, and also, you become adaptable to you know things that uh, whatever that's shifting doesn't quite throw you off. You're able to adjust ever so slightly and cope with that new uh, new obstacle. I like to travel this way when I visit a city. I like to maybe have a general direction where I want to go, but give myself time and the liberty to maybe go down the side road, take a detour. Uh, I hate to miss the train when I travel, but if I have to miss the train, I'll make the best out of it, you know? And I think, you know, that's life, isn't it? And then you say, hey, you know, I'll just, you know, uh, celebrate the, 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 the delay, the detour. Uh, and often those are the moments where you get the best sketch because, you know, you're going down to a back alley or you are going to a cafe that only the locals know. Uh, and, and that's exciting for me. And, and then, through this way of playing, you know, what we see, you know, through sketching players, people are empowered in their practice to question, to experiment without the concern that they might be judged. 
and also they they have a renewed uh passion for you know drawing because now it is fun um they are confident about the mess that they make and that's perfectly fine and i think it also uh, uh, allows us to cope with whatever situation that you that every, all of us may be facing you know uh, on a lighter note because you know that you can uh, adjust you can come up with a new strategy uh you can like we call our uh, play sessions you know names uh, to encapsulate a concept but also to remind people you know that hey you can shift your view you can pack your bags and do virtual traveling so those are two of our play sessions uh theme and hopefully that you know uh, gives you confidence you know wherever you are you know whether you are a beginning sketcher or a, a full-time artist uh, you can you know continue to uh use the same concepts in prompt but do it your way you know and, and and celebrate it and tell us more about it so that there is that sharing that you know they, that we often miss when we go out to a urban sketching uh gathering i uh, hope we try to do it you know in sketching play lab there's so much for whether you are experienced whether you are inexperienced there's so much that all of us learn from each other that you can have somebody who's so good at what they do and even they pick up some valuable points from somebody who's been drawing for a month and the learning aspect does not change irrespective of how good you are at it sometimes if you are very well practiced you know you are you've been doing this all your life and then when you come to play a game like this it can be unsettling because you have to let go of what you know and you have to take on a beginner's mind and you have to be ready to say that i really don't know let me try again yeah yeah that's and that's such a valuable life skill it is it is so you know the the more you play the more you understand about strategy about using the right technique you know to score a point you know to overcome an obstacle to make new discovery yeah that's 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 such a great point well i think these are the questions that i had and i'm so happy that we had such a such an amazing conversation i picked up so many things from your work i've had so much chance to look at your paintings but now we have gone through how it goes from start to finish and it's i'm big, i feel like i'm better equipped to understand the stories that you're trying to tell and the the kind of narratives that you pursue with your work and i'm so thankful to you for this conversation thank you for you uh, thankful to you for inviting me so because i think you know this in this time we really need you know to come together to collaborate uh, and also you know listen to diverse uh, voices as well because you know th- there's wisdom in the collective uh, that's why you know every time we we come together to play you know we are saying that please continue to play tell us how you play during the week by yourself uh, so that we can also journey with you like i you know journey with you by listening to your podcast and your art as well you know and that that is learning journey for me and uh, that is inspiration for me as well yeah yeah on on a closing note paul just tell me how uh, an interested listener could join the sketching play lab how often it's done and how could they get in on it um you can send us a email to splaylab@gmail.com 
uh, and we will add you to our mailing list. We're taking a little recess to play in December, me and Suita. So you will hear an uh, email announcement coming out uh, early Jan. And we will tell you more about you know, what we're going to play with. We will also reprise our previous uh, play sessions. So the unique part about um, our play sessions, uh, they're not um, full-on workshops. Uh, they are also uh, sessions where you can come multiple times to play. Uh, often you'll find that you know some people will come two, three times to play with that same um, uh come back to the same play session, explain the same topic. Because each time they come, they, they have new insights. Because they have mastery over a certain technique, the second time they do it, even though we may be repeating ourselves, they'll tell you that, hey, you know, I, I now know what you're talking about. So so we find that you know through this kind of repetitive play, uh, discoveries are also made and different kind of discovery is being made. So it's different from a workshop where you probably do it once or you watch a video once and that's it. it it's more like reading a book. You go back to the book again, over and over again. So our play sessions are like that. They're cozy, maximum 25 people thereabouts with me and Suita. Uh, and a unique feature is we always do a warm up. And we will show you how to warm up because I think warm up is such an important way to prepare your whole being, mind and body, uh, to go into a, a, a sketching or you know painting uh, uh, hour. Because a lot of time, if you uh, I, I'm speaking from experience, if you don't prepare yourself or you don't warm up, you find that you are just not in the right frame of mind. So we do a bit of warm up. We uh, create a narrative, we'll tell you the story, and then we take you on a journey, we'll give you some prompts, uh, we create opportunity for you to uh, experiment in the laboratory, and then we end off by doing a show and tell where we uh, invite our participant to share about their adventure, what are some of the failures, and then we all kind of chime in, you know, and, and, and learn from those collective sharing as well. So yeah, reach out to us, and. Uh, you can also check out um, um, our Instagram page, hashtag uh, sketching play lab. You will see a lot of examples. Uh, we don't have a you know a formal Instagram account yet. We're still working on it. So we are kind of um, informal at the moment, but there's enough uh, work done so far that you can you know get a flavor of what uh, crazy stuff we do at the play lab as well. We have made this uh, on a donation basis because we knew that when we started this during uh, the lockdown that some of us may not have the ability to uh, pay for a full workshop and we wanted uh, a playground, a place where people can you know, donate what they um, are able to give without uh, the obligation of having to choose should I put food on the table or come to a, to a play session with us. So that also opened the doors to people that we may not normally hear from. So we have, you know, friends from Indonesia, India. Um, as long as you have a laptop, a Zoom account, you can join us, you know, and we welcome anyone to join us. So we, we have been meeting a lot of people online uh, and we want to keep it donation-based uh, as long as we can so that we don't exclude anybody. Yeah. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. I hope it was as useful for you as it was for me. 
I have included links to Paul's website and his Instagram in the episode description. Please check out his most beautiful art. There is also a link to my Instagram plus the newsletter. In my weekly newsletter, I share my art as well as deeper thoughts from these conversations. Best wishes for the holidays and I hope to see you again next year.